Welcome to Finding Certainty with your host and U.S. Army veteran, Patrick Lang. Over the next hour, you'll learn from Patrick and his expert guests how to attract more certainty into your business and your life. Now, here is your host, Patrick Lang. Welcome to Finding Certainty, everyone. We're very pleased to have you with us, and I'm extremely honored to have our special guest today, Ms. April Porter. April is the CEO of Ask April Porter, which is a franchise empowerment organization. It's the best way I can think of to describe it. I'm sure you can do a better job, April, but very pleased to have you with us. Thanks for uh, joining us here on Finding Certainty. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about today's conversation. I am as well. You know, our, our name, I think, is a perfect description of what you're providing to your franchisees out there that you're helping them find certainty or as you call it swag which we'll get into during the the, the uh, episode today but i uh, i always start out the show by sharing a couple of reasons why i've invited this specific guest to join us and i don't spend a lot of time on bio we get into that sort of during the episode but uh, just so you all know april is a former attorney a prosecuting attorney and a judge, a multi-unit, award-winning franchisee, and now she has transitioned to taking what she learned to help other uh, franchisees out there find uh, what, what she calls SWAG, Sanity, Wealth, and Gratitude, which I love that acronym. Um, but anyway, top two reasons why I invited April to join us is, first and foremost, she is providing a uh, just a, an incredible service, a, a much needed service to franchisees who, in many respects, are the backbone of our economy. Small businesses and and franchisees they make up a very large percentage of our GDP, um, and so she's she's providing this just really important service. And and secondly, she's coming from a place where she has spent her entire life fighting for the vulnerable and for victims and, and the the underdog, if you will. And so it's just a really uh, interesting combination uh, with, a, with a history uh, that I think has a lot of heart to it. So it's a great example of what we, we look for here on Finding Certainty. So thank you again for being here, April. Really appreciate you uh, taking your time this morning. It's my pleasure. So let's start out by talking a little bit about you. We, we break this show up into three parts. Uh, the first section, I like to get to know you a little bit and tell us a little bit about your, your background. What led you to becoming an attorney and eventually a judge? And, and I know you're in St. Louis. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. You got your uh, JD, I know, from Washington University. And uh, I, uh, I think you have your, well, you have your law uh, license from the Missouri Bar Association, but let's talk about early stage, early, your earlier life, where you grew up, maybe a little bit about your family, what, what led you down that path? I'd love to. Um, so I grew up actually in Kansas City, which is on the western side of Missouri. Many people think it's in Kansas, but it, where, I, where I lived was Kansas City, Missouri. And um, I grew up in a household i'm the oldest of two additional girls so there's three three sisters total um, my parents neither one graduated from college they both attended some college but didn't graduate from college and um, i was a dancer 
I was a competitive dancer growing up and that was my thing. So I think one of the things that really made a huge impression upon me early on, both of my parents have an extraordinary work ethic and a very high level of integrity and ethics. And I would watch where they would really hold high standards, even at work. They would come home with stories about where they felt, my mother in particular, maybe felt other people were not um, holding up their end of the deal as an employee. Maybe they were taking too many personal calls or doing other things on company time that she felt wasn't appropriate when you're being paid, you know, to work for the company. So I remember that very much. My dad was the same way, but something that really stuck out to me about my dad's experience is that he was a warehouse manager back for Montgomery Ward. For those of you that remember those days when uh, Montgomery Ward was a department store. And he was, um, he created systems and software that was saving the company millions of dollars. And he was so successful that they were, they were sending him all over the country. And he spent a lot of time traveling when I was young to go all over the country and solve problems in the warehouse management of, or open new warehouses and do all of these things. But yet every time a promotion came up, he was told that he was not eligible because he did not have a college degree. Wow. And so we, as a young person, I continually saw him get passed over, passed over, yet he was charged with training the person that would be his boss. Interesting. And I always felt that was so unfair. And, you know, I admired and loved my dad so much. It was kind of that feeling of if you just knew my dad, like I knew my dad, right? You wouldn't hesitate. And what does a college degree mean? And he went back to school even for a couple of years trying to get the degree, but it just was, he couldn't, he couldn't um, take enough credit hours in the time that he had working full time to really make it plausible to get one. So Ultimately, he quit and he became an entrepreneur and he became successful as a business owner. Um, and then um, later in life, he got involved with um, a banking system and became um, part of the headquarters of a bank. So, um, but watching that journey, I think that's part of what really instilled in me a, a need to fight for things that are fair and to fight against these nonsensical injustices that are like, what, what on earth sense does that make that you would, you're holding up a piece of paper at a higher level than an employee who has served you loyally, saved you millions of dollars and successfully trained warehouses across the country to be at the highest level of production possible. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I think that's part of where my, my drive in that respect came from. Well, I love I love that story because it says a lot about you, right? You 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 grew up with principles and examples of integrity, and 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 at the same time, you had this almost um, I don't want to say resentment, but this it's just this passion about hey, this isn't fair, you know. This who who is standing up for my dad? Who's standing up for the underdog? You know, that resonates with me because I've always been that sort of kind of advocate in my life. I, I married a widow with three children. I have this savior complex, right? I had, I, had a, I had a brother and sister who were both adopted, one from Korea, one from Samoa. And I was always really defensive, looking out for them. I got in fights, you know, in junior high and stuff, defending my siblings. And, and so that really resonates with me. I'm, I've always been, 
that sort of uh, advocate. So I definitely can appreciate that about you. So, so I, I would assume that that also led to you wanting to get a degree of your own and you know, wanting to go to college and say, well, I'm not going to let that happen to me. Is that, is that safe to say? Well, I think that it was just kind of a given that I would go to college. I mean, I was always a high achiever as a kid and, you know, my parents wanted so much to create that life that they didn't have and they wanted to eliminate any obstacles. Right. right. So um, there was, there was definitely, I want to go to college, but there was also this kind of assumption, like that is the plan, right? right? And so I did my very best to earn as many scholarships as I could because my family was not wealthy. And so um, so I did go to college, but originally I went to college planning to be a an actress. And I went as a theater major, loved theater, loved performing. I was a dancer. I danced on the dance team in, in college for basketball and, and football games. And, um, and that was what I planned to do. And, and my mother, being the practical woman she is, was always like, well, why don't you take some accounting classes just as a backup, you know? And, and, uh, um, and I was like, I have no interest in accounting in any way, shape, or form. But eventually, at one point in time, I did get a little spooked. I thought, do I really want to go to L.A. and be a waitress? Because that's probably my future for the foreseeable, you know, near future um, if I wanted to pursue acting. And I, I was like, that's not really what I want to do. I don't think that's living to my full potential. And someone actually mentioned to me, they said, well, why don't you be an attorney? And if you're an attorney, you could be a trial attorney and act in front of a jury like every day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could, and I could make money and I could be like performing in front of the jury. And so then I, um, I met with an attorney, a local attorney and said, if you, it, what major should I have if I want to go to law school? What's going to help me get into law school? And he said, English. And so I became an English major and solely for the purpose of getting into law school. And then um, ultimately was able to get a scholarship to Washington University that enabled me to go to that school. Because I wouldn't have, it, I mean, it was extraordinarily prestigious. It was top 25 law schools in the country when I went. It was not cheap, but luckily I got a scholarship and was able to attend. That's fantastic. You know, I'm finding out more and more we have in common, April. I have the same path, the same track, if you will. I wanted to be, I mean, I grew up as a John Grisham fan and I wanted to be a, a trial lawyer and and I think I have this you know, leaning in me to want to be an actor, you know, <laughs> I like, I like being on the stage and, uh, and yet for me, and I actually majored in English. That was my, my bachelor's degree, similar to you, but I, uh, in the summers, I worked summer jobs selling various things, you know, living scripture tapes and Cutco knives and rainbow vacuum cleaners. Right. And I spent the last two or three years selling yellow page advertising. And I did so well at it. I mean, as a college kid, this is back in the eighties, I was making three to $400 a day, as much as $600 a day as a kid. And I'd make, I'd work for two months, play for a month, come back with money in the bank and not have to work the whole school year. And I still did the jobs oftentimes just to make extra, but, but I realized I was really good at sales. And I, and I thought, I don't know if I want to go to several more years of school to, to have to read paper, every, paperwork every day and, you know, you know, become an attorney. So I, I went a different direction and now I've been in sales for 30 plus years, but that's very interesting. We have that um, similar background. You took the left fork and I took the right fork, but we started out on the same path. Yeah, that is interesting. 
So you uh, you became an attorney. Did you go straight into uh, working with the DA or did you uh, start in a different path? No, I knew right away in law school. I mean, one, I knew I wanted to be in front of juries. Um, reading contracts, sitting at a desk was not for me. That just wasn't going to cut it. Um, and then when I, when you factored in the fact that I had this internal drive to always stand up for people, when mm -hmm. I saw some injustice happening, I mean, I was always the one who would speak up when no one would speak up and I was willing to take any, you know, backlash or retribution that would mm -hmm. come with it because I couldn't stay silent if things just were not just. So that really led me towards that prosecutor path. And I interned with various prosecution offices in the federal um, prosecute, prosecutor's office as well here in St. Louis, ultimately with that that desire and, and determination to become a prosecutor, which I did here in St. Louis. And I first started working for one of our smaller counties. And within three months, I was promoted to the head of the domestic violence unit. So at that point in time, I was touring the state, training um, different police officers, police departments and sheriff's departments on proper investigation of domestic violence crimes because, and it's so important in that, in that subject matter to have a great investigation because many times by the time we get to trial, the victim is no longer cooperative. Um, because they've returned to the abuser or they've been intimidated by the abuser. And so it's a very unique area of law that has to be approached in a, in a very specific way. So I started out there and then I, um, after a couple of years, I moved to one of the larger counties and I was assigned there to a special unit that prosecuted sexual assaults, child abuse, and then homicides. And so that was the majority of my career was in violent crimes against women and children. Well, again, <laughs> you resonate with, I, I resonate with everything you're saying. You know, our, uh, our company, Certainty Management, um, supports uh, various nonprofits. But if there was one that I would say is our flagship or our, our baby, it's an organization called Operation Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. If you haven't heard of them, they're a national organization started by a guy named Tim Ballard. He worked for Homeland Security in, in uh, child sex trafficking. And he quit his high paying federal job to start a nonprofit because he was, felt like he was too limited and jurisdictionally and and uh, all the red tape and so forth. And he wanted to be able to go out and save kids. And so I, I, I love that. We were big fans of theirs. And you know, again, hearing your story, it's just more and more examples of you advocating for those who are vulnerable and those who, uh, you know, need need uh, need that uh, support, that help. And it's a perfect transition into what you've done and what you're doing today. Um, so tell me, as you look back on your career, you went from being a prosecuting attorney to eventually being a judge, right? And you served as a judge there in Missouri for uh, for a time. Yes. How, how, what was that like? Having the gavel and laying down those decisions. That's got to be a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, obviously a lot of responsibility. Well, it was very much like the show Night Court um, because I was a judge for one of our municipalities here, and it did take place at night, and it mostly was traffic offenses and small misdemeanors, um, some assaults. Uh, unfortunately, but um, those types of crimes. I absolutely loved being a judge. Uh, 
because I truly believe that while as a prosecutor, I was very much advocating for victims of crime, that there is advocacy be advocacy to be done on the side of a defendant as well in ensuring that their rights are absolutely upheld in accordance with the values and the constitution that we have here in the United States. And being a judge um, really stretches your um, skills because you have to be completely impartial. And being able to remove your own biases and remove your own opinions from something and listen to two sides and render a verdict that is truly based upon the evidence and and, and weighted by the, the scales of justice, I think it's a very unique skill and it's one that um, I pride myself on being able to do. I very much enjoy being a judge. Uh, and you, do you still do that or that's a thing of the past? That is in the past. My jurisdiction was encapsulated with another jurisdiction. And so my bench was retired. Okay. It's very interesting. I think it's a, an important skill that anyone should be able to learn to be able to remove the emotion from a, a relationship, a discussion, an argument even, you know, it's so important. I, I think we all deal with controversy at times and disagreement and hurt feelings or you know, even inadvertent offense and, and to be able to look at both sides and um, be impartial. And it's very hard to do, you know, we all are emotionally in, in engaged and, and um, it's one of the most important, in fact, it's a, it's a, it's a really important principle. It's something that's been on my mind a lot lately, dealing with a little bit of internal stress with partners and affiliates where there's been a misunderstanding or whatever. It's just so important. So we are coming up on our first break here, but um, any last thoughts on your legal career before we go to break? Um, no, I mean, I think that it is what has allowed me to be so successful in other areas of life and career are the skills that you learned that I've learned along the way are so applicable to business, even when, you know, people don't initially see that. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, we're going to get into that in the next segment here. We're going to go to break. Uh, if you're listening to us for the first time, thanks for joining us. We talk about ways to find greater certainty in our lives and our uh, businesses, organizations, nonprofits, whatever the case might be. Uh, we're visiting with April Porter. She's the CEO of Ask April Porter. And we're going to talk a little bit about your name because I was intrigued by by that. And I know there's a whole topic there. So, Come on back. We'll be right back just in a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty. T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero-cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888-684-3122 to learn more today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Welcome back, everybody. We're visiting with April Porter. She's the CEO of Ask April Porter. She is a franchise advocate, expert, guru, uh, influencer, the list goes on and on. I mean, I was reading your list of awards you've won over the last several years, starting as an attorney and a judge, and then getting into being a multi-franchisee owner, award-winning franchisee owner. And the list just went on and on and on. So um, we've talked a little bit about your legal career and your upbringing with your parents, getting you into uh, uh, becoming a prosecuting attorney and a judge. Uh, let's talk about your transition from the from public servant to franchise owner. How did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? Not at all. So after about 10 years working in very heavy and dark subject matter, I was ready for a change. And um, all along the way, as I mentioned, just in a snippet, I had been a competitive dancer. So I'd always done on the side, teaching dance, teaching fitness. And I found out about this concept, a kickboxing fitness concept, that my friends had invested in on the Kansas City side of the state. And when I took a look at it, I'm like, wow, this place looks awesome. And if there was one here in St. Louis, I'd work out there. And since I was looking for something new and I didn't want to go into being the type of attorney who sat behind a desk and just read paperwork all day, I thought, well, what if I became an entrepreneur, business owner? I'd always had that spirit, always been trying different side gigs. So we decided to take the leap and we invested in bringing that kickboxing um, franchise to St. Louis, being the first franchise owners here. And, um, and we dove in, we, we decided we would go big or go home. We committed to opening three locations, even though I had zero experience being a, a storefront business owner. And, um, and then I dove in, did everything the franchisor told me to do. And about three months, we were profitable and we were ready to start bringing on our first employees. And I knew I had to open those two other locations. And I'm standing there in the gym saying, 
okay, you know what? I can't be in three places at once. And part of why this first one has been so successful is that it's my friends and neighbors and everybody who knows my personality are coming in, um, you know, to work out with us. And how am I going to duplicate that in the other locations? And that's when I really realized that the franchisor um, doesn't give you everything you need to be successful, like many people believe. It is not truly a business in a box. It's more a job in a box. You're just working for yourself, but you still have a job. Um, and it was up to me to really turn that into a business. Well, that's very interesting because um, you talk about your dad, how he eventually broke out, became an entrepreneur. I'm sure he was in, an inspiration to you and maybe a sounding board for you as you're going through a lot of this. But so many small businesses out there, even large businesses, um, they start with a passion and right? something they're passionate about. They're, they're a really great contractor or they're just a really great artist or attorney or whatever. And um, and yet they they aren't an accountant. They're not a web designer. They're not a graphic designer. They're not a marketer. They've maybe never done sales, although I think most of us do sales every day in one way or the other. But but it's but it's a big transition. It's almost an impossible transition, right? If, especially if you try to do it alone, because you can't wear all the hats. You can't be all things to all people. Um, it's one of the mantras here of finding certainty is we have to look outside of ourselves, get out of our way, look outside the box and consider new approaches, tools, techniques, and relationships. And and so um, I think your your experience there was, was um, not unique, I guess is my point. It's something everybody deals with, right? And um, you just, you hit it head on. And yet, and, and so, and yet I know you went on to make it very successful. You ended up owning multiple franchises. You ended up uh, winning multiple awards, being recognized as the, the top fifty fastest growing companies in in, in St. Louis or in, in Missouri, right? Mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. So, how did you do it? How did you overcome that or get over that hurdle? Well, the first thing I did was I started to apply skills that I had used as an attorney to my business. Um, I'm extraordinarily strategic. I mean, that's what you have to be in order to get 12 jurors, which are 12 strangers, to agree unanimously to send someone to prison for the rest of their life. I mean, think about the last time you got your family members who all know each other very well to agree on what to have for dinner, right? So <laughs> there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. And I started to really take a couple steps back in my business and say, okay, my franchisor, they taught me everything I needed to know about kickboxing. They taught me how to apply that to this workout system. They taught me how to sell gym memberships and how to ring those up into our software, right? And okay, well, what do I need to grow this business? And it was, it was really a recognition of, I don't know what I don't know. But I can think strategically about the objective and then what are the steps to get there. And so I started to create a lot of things myself, such as an ownership cloning system, which is what I call a training system that develops people into be leaders that you can delegate to and trust completely. And they are just as bought into growing your business as you are. Um, so I developed that on my own. I developed some really amazing marketing um, strategies on my own. And then I got to another ceiling where I really felt like, okay, now I've tapped out of 
what I know how to do. I need additional help. And that's when I sought out and found my first um, executive business coach who really was able to teach me some of those advanced business strategies that I'd never been introduced to before. And um, then we began implementing those. Well, it's uh, it's like they say, it takes a village, right? That's not just about raising children. It is about anything in life. I think so often we are too independent. We try to do it all on our own. We Either it's hard for us to delegate or we're overly uh, optimistic or overly confident, but most of us get to a point in life where we realize we cannot do it by ourselves. And so you, you talk about hiring a business coach. I'm a huge fan of of having uh, mentors and, and coaches who help us. If, if nothing else, they help us get different perspectives and maybe get a little bit further away from it. They, they, they force us to step back and realize where we need help and realize where we're strong maybe and so forth and so on. Now, I've heard you mention two or three times uh, so far the word systems. Your, uh, your father is an expert at that, right? Speaking of your dad again, he, uh, he implemented systems that took his warehouses and the company to entire new levels. And, and unfortunately, they didn't reward that like they should have. They didn't promote him as they should have. But he was obviously working within systems. And that was a big reason for the millions and millions of dollars he saved them and the success that he had. Um, how did you, as looking at your dad, maybe reflecting on his example, did it did that occur to you at that time? Did you know that systems were needed or did it just happen kind of by accident? Or I, I, I get the sense that you don't do anything by accident. So <laughs> my guess is it was much more strategic, but looking back on it, how did systems fit into what you're what you were doing? Well, I recognized, you know, gosh, I can't even think of a time in my life when I didn't recognize that systems would make whatever I was working on move faster and more efficiently. Um, I mean, back in the day, I was the captain of our uh, dance team in college and back then we were ranked in the top three in the nation i was we didn't even have a coach so i was in charge of figuring out how we were going to pay to go to nationals i created an entire calendar and sold it and that like publication was something that i created um so i was always figuring out okay what do we need to do what is the objective oh we need to go to nationals how much money do we need how are we going to get there and working backwards to put it all in place and then you know delegating out well i need all of these people to help you know in order to get there so in a sense i kind of was running little businesses all along i just didn't know that that's what i was doing right. um and then when i got to the prosecutor's office i walked in on day one and there wasn't a single lick of training to be had for a new prosecutor. So I created an entire training manual so that when, when new attorneys came in, it would show them, okay, we just handed you a file. What do you do next? And so I was building out training manuals um, for that purpose and that they still use to this day in the prosecutor's wow. office. So um, I think I've just been a very natural problem solver and I don't think, um, and, and strategist and, you know, all of that, is when you do it and you want it to be repeated, it needs to be in a system so that other people can pick up the baton and take it to the next level without you having to always be the one overseeing that. Right. 
I, I couldn't agree more. Um, when we talked about systems, basically we're talking about having a blueprint, having a plan, right? We, um, we all see this in our own lives and our businesses. If we cut, if we, you know, I think it was Stephen Covey who said to begin, begin with the end in mind. What is your ultimate objective as an attorney? Obviously you wanted to get the prosecution. You wanted to get the, uh, get the win. And yet you had to, you had to deconstruct that win and look at the steps that you needed to get there. Right. We need to present evidence. We need to have good witnesses. We need to prepare our witnesses. We need to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that same thing applies in business. You can't just wing it. Right. I mean, a lot of people try to. They're really good roofers and they know how to put a good roof on. And that's what they're going to do. They're just going to do a lot of roofs and dang it. You know, and we can make this work. But without a plan and a blueprint and those steps lined out, written on a napkin at least, right? It's very unlikely that you're going to succeed. And that's, I think, one of the biggest reasons why failure uh, of small businesses in America is so high. Would you agree? Oh, I agree 100%. I also think that many times the secret sauce to a business, right, is is something within the owner. It's either a skill that they perfected or a personality trait or some kind or their passion, whatever it is. And they hold on to that rather than sharing it with their employees and finding a way to share it with their employees. And the way to share it is to create processes and to help um, guide and develop people to be able to do it in the same fashion that you do it in. And what I see happen is many times business owners that either don't do that at all and they and they're the ones trying to do it all until they burn out and they say why did i ever decide to open a business i can't handle the stress anymore and working 60 to 80 hours a week or they start they teach their employees this but they don't do it systematically meaning they say oh here's a new employee come shadow me and i'm going to show you each and every step but guess what that employee leaves, the next one comes in, we have to do it all over again. And it always falls back on the shoulders of the business owner. No one else can say, well, you know what? Hey, I'll take this new employee and I'll train him. Why don't you go out and do some things that'll help grow the business while I train the new employee? Well, they can't do that because that secret sauce is still always kept internally within the business owner. And, and that's the one of the biggest obstacles to someone being able to ultimately attain the life and the dream that they envisioned they would get from owning a business. I, I completely agree. I think it's, um, it is a natural tendency for business owners to lean that direction versus the other, right? It's whether it's just built into our DNA, it's our baby, it's our idea, it's our passion. Um, in fact, I, I deal with this in my business because I've transitioned from being a solopreneur to having partners and having, having associates and, and, and learning how to delegate and learning how to, to let go of the control, right? It's, it's challenging. And I don't think it's out of arrogance as much as, um, sometimes it's desperation. Sometimes it's not knowing how to do it. Sometimes it's, um, just um not trusting the people enough to to want to let go and and you know that you can do it you will do it better probably faster and in the long run get it done right and i have to redo it but it's interesting because i i, I wrote a book last week uh, last year and my 
I was I was invited to be in a book um, called Mission Matters. Um, it was co-authored with uh, with Adam Torres, and I wrote my chapter on accountability. And I talked about delegation. I talked about how important it is to to let go of those reins, let go of that control. Because when you do, not only do you get more done, and not only do you um, do you take workload off your plate and and accomplish more but you also build trust and you build rapport and confidence in the people around you if you don't delegate um, you're basically sending a message that's detrimental to your business Um, it's been my experience anyway any thoughts on on that topic i couldn't agree more in fact one of the things that i teach is that To be a true business leader, you actually need trust three ways. One, you have to trust your employees. Two, your employees have to trust you that when you say you're going to, you know, give them a raise or you say you're going to do something in the business that that actually happens, they can trust that. But number three, your employees must feel trusted by you. So it's one thing to say, I trust my employees, and it's another thing for those employees to actually feel and believe that you trust them, which is what really empowers them to be able to excel in their roles. I love that. You know, it's it's interesting because obviously you think of as a franchise, uh, franchisee or a franchisor, you're you have to duplicate yourself. You have to instill trust, create stress, uh, trust, and build trust uh, in order to duplicate your locations, right? To become a multi-franchisee owner, you have to be able to do that. But what if you're not a franchisee? What if you're just a business with employees? You still have to do the same thing. You're still trying to duplicate yourself and create those connections and that uh, that empowerment, if you will, uh, if you ever truly want to get to those levels of success. Um, I saw in your bio somewhere that you, you talked about how you longed to go from dealing with the daily day-to-day basics to building a business empire, right? You longed for that education, that mentorship, and and um, and you, you weren't getting it from your franchisor, right? You had to go out and create it. Um, to your credit, you did it and you did it well. I mean, you became... You've since been, uh, you were one of the top five or top 50 fastest growing companies in St. Louis, as we said before, you were voted as the business person of the year back in 2015. You, uh, and then you, you've continued and you realize that, hey, I can do this not only for myself, but I could do this for multiple franchisees, which has led you to today. So let's talk about that next. Let's talk about the, the, the transition yeah, uh, from franchisee to franchise influencer, we're gonna come. We're gonna go to another break, real quick. But um, when we come back, let's talk about what you're doing today with Ask April Porter and this evolution of April Porter to uh, to making such a difference in the franchise industry. Now that you are, it's uh, it's impressive. So, um, any last thoughts in the last thirty seconds before our next break? Just that um, I think so many times business owners don't quite catch on to the fact that they have control of their own destiny 
And it's just a flip of the switch in our mindset about waiting for the answers to just come to us and, and actually saying, no, you know what, I'm going to take the action myself. Uh, that makes the difference. I, I totally agree. We're visiting with April Porter. She's the CEO of Ask April Porter, one of the foremost franchise support and advocacy organizations giving franchisees access to business insights and sales and marketing and tools and tips and techniques that can help them be successful at the business side of the franchise, which is obviously so important. You might be a great uh, kickboxer. You might be able to know how to sign up um, memberships and so forth. But if you don't know the rest, you're going to be hard pressed to be successful. You figured it out. Now you're teaching it to others. When we come back from break, we'll talk about how April's doing that and the difference that it is making. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at certaintyteam.com. That's certainty, T E A M, like Mary.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty. T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Welcome back to Finding Certainty, everyone. If you've been with us, we are visiting with April Porter. She's the CEO of a very interesting organization. I find it fascinating what you're doing, April. And I know you're getting a lot of kudos and a lot of rec recognition for it. Uh, whether you seek the recognition or not, I know it's coming, and uh, but you're making a big difference. 
So let's talk about how you transition from franchisee to franchise expert and uh, influencer. Now, do you still own the franchises or did you let them go? I actually sold them um, pursuant to my exit strategy. Just like you said, Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. I did that on day one and had my exit strategy was to build for about five to seven years and then sell all of my franchises as a unit. And I was very blessed to be able to do so in 2020 as a fitness franchise, despite having been shut down for three months. Um, we had a buyer approach us and say, yeah, I'm, I would like to buy these. And I was like, wow, you know, um, I wasn't quite expecting that after coming right out of a shutdown, but right. I was grateful for it. And, um, and so that's when we exited the brand. That's great. I find it interesting that you started a kickboxing franchise instead of a Jamba Juice or a dry cleaner or something like that. It's just one more example of you advocating for for the vulnerable, right? I mean, because um, self-defense, teaching probably a lot of women, a lot of uh, others who maybe didn't feel as safe or secure as they'd like to, they come to your classes and left feeling empowered. Is that safe to say? Oh, for sure. And it also like scratched another itch of mine, which is I absolutely am so passionate about helping others realize their full potential. So back even when I said the prosecutor's office and I was like, we don't have anything to train these attorneys and set them up for success. So let me create that. And going into kickboxing fitness, it was like, I can train these people and help them gain, you know, one healthy weight, a healthy lifestyle, but also that empowerment and that confidence to really show up in the best version of themselves. And um, that, that was the best part about owning that business. I love that. So um, tell us how you transitioned then from franchisee, multi-location multi award-winning franchisee to today. Well, first, um, as I said, we became very successful very fast, and that lent itself to franchisees in my brand from across the country reaching out to me asking, what are you doing? You know, how are you cracking the code to this and growing so quickly? And I'm over here struggling a little bit. And so that that started to gain momentum. I was getting five, seven calls a week, which I was more than happy to help all of these franchisees. On the flip side of that, that was five to seven hours a week that I wasn't working on my business. I was working to help build other people's businesses. And as I teach my clients, you really need to understand how to value your time because we don't want to work more hours to accomplish what we want to, what to accomplish. We want to be able to work smarter, not harder. And so it was at that point where I said, okay, I'm going to start, you know, doing workshops and doing consultations and having this on the side as a little consulting company. So I started doing that. Uh, that was, that was how it all began. But then, um, things in my brand went from amazing, everybody loves the franchisor to a breakdown in the franchisor franchisee relationship. And that is pretty typical in the franchising world that that happens as these brands experience uh, fast growth. And when that happened, I really got to see kind of the dark underside of the franchising industry where there is a lot of opportunities for franchisees to be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And 
through that experience, our franchisees and our brand decided to form an independent association. And in doing so, elected a board of directors for that organization, and they elected me to be president to represent them and try to bring about change to re-level the playing field and create more fair and equitable experience for the franchisees. And then from there, they elected me to the Franchise Advisory Council, which is they should be one thing, but it's two separate things. The Independent Franchisee Association is completely governed by franchisees. The Franchise Advisory Council is governed by the franchisor. The agenda is set by the franchisor. And what the Franchise Advisory Council can advise on is determined by the franchisor. And um, so the franchisees also elected me to that council uh, so that I could try to bridge the gap between our franchisor and our franchisees. Um, and again, that experience just really showed me that the intense need there was in the industry for someone to stand up and say, hey, I've got your back and, you know, let me let me be your guide through this um, experience, both when it's good and you want to scale, but then also when it's bad and you still want to succeed. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's a fair statement, I think. And isn't it true that the associations out there, like the American Association of Franchisees and Dealers and the International Association, most of them are focused on the franchisors. They're focused on lobbying for franchisor rights, and maybe they provide some education and some support. But it's not really, it doesn't trickle down to the franchisees being taught how to to improve their SEO or their, you know, to manage their bookkeeping or to better brand their company. Uh, is that a, a first statement? I know we've talked a little bit about this, but maybe you can elaborate on that topic. Yes. Um, for many of the organizations, in fact, most of the organizations inside the franchising industry, that is true. They are focused on the franchisors and supporting the franchisors to success because the franchisors, quite honestly, have the deep pockets. The American Association of Franchisees and Dealers, also known as the AAFD, is actually a true franchisee advocacy organization, but their focus is on franchising or excuse me, advocating for franchisees at a legal and legislative level, meaning they're they're trying to affect change through legislature and then also at the brand level by helping the associations, the chapters, the groups of franchisees potentially will retain legal counsel to find out what their rights are in, in that relationship with the franchisor. So, so it's all long-term solutions, um, nothing that's going to help you be successful tomorrow. And so to your, to your point, um, there really wasn't anything out there that would help people understand marketing strategy or even leadership skills um, on how to talk to the new generations as they become your essential workers in your business and they operate differently, right? Um, there's that those resources just aren't out there for franchisees until we created them. Well, I love it that your name has evolved out of so many other franchisees coming to you and asking you for help, right? And that's a as a obvious transition, I asked you, why don't you come up with a name like Franchise Support Association of America? And you said, our name is one of the things that makes us stand out. And it was a natural evolution into what you are today, 
right? Is that a, a, a that's a fair statement, I'm sure. A hundred percent. Yes. Everyone was asking April Porter, what are you doing? How do I do what you're doing? I love that. Um so as a as an as, as an organization, you're a for-profit company, but you're designed on helping or you're 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 uh, designed to help these franchisees have the approaches, the technologies, the training, the networking, all of the, the, the nets and bolts of business success. And uh, you've even started a, your own podcast. You've been doing that now for a couple of years. It's the number one franchise podcast on Apple, right? The Infinite French, uh, Franchise Show. So congratulations. Thank you. I could probably learn a thing, or, a thing or two from you as I'm a newer host here on Voice America. But um, And then I know you're putting together your first annual conference coming up. Uh, in St. Louis, April 18th to the 21st, and you call it the SWAG Conference. I mentioned this earlier, but tell us a little bit about SWAG as we're coming toward the end of the show here. Oh, SWAG is one of my favorite things um, that we teach franchisees, and it stands for Sanity, Wealth, and Gratitude. And what that really means is that when people decide to become business owners, they envision this life where they're going to work less hours than they do as a corporate employee. They're going to make more money than they do as a corporate employee. And it's going to enable them to have life experiences that are enriching both for themselves and for others, being philanthropic, being being fulfilled as a person during your time here on earth. And so that's what sanity, wealth, and gratitude really encompasses. And even the little and in there has significance because we really want people to understand you do not have to sacrifice one or the other. You get to have it all. You get to have sanity and wealth and gratitude all rolled into one. You don't have to choose. And so like, you, again, you mentioned Stephen Covey, um, start with the end in mind. We always encourage everyone to start with your swag in mind and really think about what does that life look like? And is spinning your wheels or being on that hamster wheel right now, um, you know, answering the phones yourself and doing everything yourself, is that really taking you to that life of working less hours or is it just keeping you, you know, stuck? And so that's what the SWAG conference is about, is transporting people to their true dream. Well, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but I know it's very interesting because it's going to be hands-on. People come away with true uh, skill sets and 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 uh, plans of action, systems, as we've been saying. Uh, we are up against the end of the show, but, you know, it's obviously working. I mean, you've been voted the... Uh, 2023 top influencer in the global franchising industry, top 10 women of distinction in franchising. Last year, you won the, the Chairman's Award for Distinguished Service to the Franchising Industry from the American Association of Franchisees and Dealers. I mean, as I said, the list of accolades goes on and on, but I wish we could talk for another hour, April, but I really appreciate you being here. How do people get a hold of you, just in closing? You go to AskAprilPorter.com and you can reach us there or you can tune into the Infinite Franchisee show on any of the major um, outlets, podcasts. Well, thanks for being on Finding Certainty. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another special guest. But thank you, April, for being here. Kudos for everything you're accomplishing. I know we're, uh, we're going to try to help with uh, some of the things we're doing as well. And uh, Good luck on your upcoming conference. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. In fact, I think some of our uh, 
team members are going to be there. So we look forward to it. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to see you. We'll be there. Go out there and find certainty, everyone. You can do it. And we'll help if we can. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Finding Certainty. We hope you've gained some more insight into how to create more certainty in your own business or nonprofit. Join us next week for another taste of the certainty experience. Until then, we wish you greater certainty in all that you do.